Hi, welcome to the Funding Blueprint, unlocking startup success presented by StartHub. I'm Cody Goff, and today you're going to get an investor's perspective on what's stopping startups from scaling up, as well as some helpful reminders about some business fundamentals that founders sometimes miss. We'll also get into what opportunities there are in the metaverse and what gets investors excited about it. My guest today is Chris Gonzalez. He's an investor who's worked on seed to series A startups across all sectors. He's worked in the Web3 space and has done technical assessments and financial analysis for blockchain projects and developed investment recommendations for real world blockchain startups. He's also a podcast host, community manager and startup operator at Go Global World, which is an AI investor to startup matching program and a founding member of the Texas Venture Alliance. We'll talk about both of those shortly. Chris is also an army veteran and has been a nationally ranked powerlifter. And if I do say so myself, he's got a pretty good sense of humor too. I think you'll enjoy our conversation. So here it is. So Chris, to start the show, we like to start off with a really specific moment in your journey as an investor. Can you share a specific impactful moment that stands out when you were talking with a company, maybe a startup was pitching you, and you just said, wow, I really need to work with this company. And what was it that made that so special? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I will just go with uh, one, I'll go with two, but I'll start with one of the most recent ones that I've did. And a lot of people kind of misunderstand what the metaverse is. And guys, I'm not gonna get into the specifics because a lot of people on here think that Web3 is some fictitious concept, guys. It's the future of the internet. And in five years, we will not be having this abstract conversation because we're already gonna be using it if you haven't already. So that's the concept that there is a startup called Causeverse, which I love to death. I love the team. You know, they got a female founder. They have a they have an army veteran as a co-founder, probably why they're doing so well. But the thing that confuses people about the metaverse is that people look at it as like this holographic type of realm that you go in and everything's just set. But now we're starting to see the emergence of SEO, search engine optimization based reality which means as your needs and wants change and consumer insights change, then the reality changes around you. And let me tell you, I got a lot done in there. Like as the world's changing around, I bought, I bought, I bought my favorite book. I hopped on zoom within the metaverse. I went to a concert. I said, I don't want to do a concert anymore. Can we do a sporting event? We had a team meeting. We hopped on loom within the metaverse. It's just a lot of moving pieces. And what I think a lot of people get wrong is that they don't change. Now, keep in mind, guys, I'm not an engineer, but I've been in a lot of metaverse startups and they don't change as your insights change. So I really love what call, what uh, Causeverse is doing. So for them, it was the innovative products that they were presenting. And how about the business plan? I mean, how, how are they going to make money near term or long term? Yeah, so they have quite amount of partnerships and B two B and B two B two C types of platforms. There's just a lot of moving pieces. So, for example, one of their partnerships is with a pretty large church. Where you know, like if we ever run into COVID twenty one, where people have to go online, people want a more immersive experience. And then on top of that, they have another revenue stream, which is just e commerce. Right? I could have shopped any book that I wanted to. I could have shopped any material that I wanted to. You can put, you can probably do some form of Amazon drop shipping in there. You know, they're just kind of unloading everything, and then tick and then ticket revenue, like from sporting events and all this other stuff, like with the emergence of esports and all that other stuff. Like, we're not going to 
pretend that uh, the NFL's market share isn't getting taken away from XR VR or anything like that. So honestly, yeah, I mean, I probably only covered like three of them, but that's still in development. That's powerful stuff. Yeah. Well, but what's the total addressable market with the metaverse? Is adoption actually to the point where like they can start making money off of this, you know, even after investing so much in the technology and the programming and development? Well, yes. And to answer your total addressable market, one that gets higher every single day. So I'm not going to put a whole number up here and get roasted by my colleagues. But what I will say is that when you put the market map together, when you look at the market map, you see a lot of them bleed into each other infrastructure, e-commerce, payments, all this other stuff. But the startups that are succeeding are the ones that can make all these different elements of the um, of the metaverse blend together. And after doing a lot of competitive analysis, the people that can do that the most seamlessly, you know, seem to be a little bit more better off in that case. Are you seeing a lot of metaverse pitches right now? Is there an uptick? Um, is it harder or easier as a startup founder to get taken seriously as a metaverse product these days? Well, I would say you would have to have like your key differentiating factor because now you've even got the biggest people on the market map, uh, Meta, dropping their Quest 3 and stuff like that. And my colleagues over at Decasonic in Chicago, they're just having a ball in the office. Like it looks so realistic. It looked like that they're just sitting there on the um, couch and like all that stuff had all those integrations as well. So I guess to be taken seriously, like the less the less I feel that I'm in a Web3 area, the more closer to reality because people forget, right? Augmented reality, that's what AR actually stands for. Of course, when the metaverse first came out, it all looked kind of cartoonish as well. But I would say with more integrations of various parts of the market map and more potential for revenue streams. Interesting. Now, you've got a lot of different projects going on and you've worked with a lot of different startups. So is there a specific tactic that you see founders overlook when they're pitching you or presenting their idea? Something that you're like, man, I wish they would just tell me this every time and you're just not quite getting it from them? Yeah, you know, when you when we're in the type of fundraising environment that we're in, and everybody relatively has the same product, of course, once we do the due diligence process and all that other stuff. You know, I think the storytelling is huge, right? Because people are taking bets on early stage companies. And now we're seeing later stage companies like it's crazy how later stage investors, uh, for example, Instacart, like Series D through Series F lost money where the guys that got it into pre-series and Series A, you know, they kind of hit it big. So. I would say the storytelling concept because it's it's a partnership. You know, when founders go with venture capital funds, it's going to be, you know, five to 10 years for whatever liquidity event. I mean, we just saw that right now with Loom and, At- and Atlassian. It kind of took a while. And then, uh, yeah, so I would say storytelling is because when it comes to the unit economics, we can hash that out, right? Like we can get it to where the uh, fund multiples are right and stuff. And, you know, if you have a minimal viable product that's also great as well but yeah and i think that the rough fundraising economy due to the global economy according to vc lab and a drsc one of the venture capital trends in this quarter was in was increased scrutiny in due diligence and i don't think that's going to go away especially with the j curve that all these technologies are taking iot uh, B2B SaaS, you know, Web3, mo- uh, mobility, deep tech, all that other stuff. So what's the story behind it? Because nobody in the world 
not even a Ray Dalio can tell you that a pre-seed company is going to hit it big. Nobody can. So they got to have a compelling story. Are there any elements to this story? Like, does it just have to be told well, or is there something you look for in that story? Yeah, so one, like the one, enthusiasm's a big thing, right? How can you not believe in your product? Because when things get tough, then yeah, you know, it's just going to go down the drain too. I would say, you know, how does your irrelevant expertise feed into your product? Like, for example, uh, one of the investments that I helped with 3X Capital, Web3 Venture Capital was A, Ghana, and they had a star-studded team, but they all believed in their project. And not to go too much into a tangent here, but uh, one of the biggest markets to explore is the hybrid economy and gaming. And that's all of our favorite Web2 games converted to Web3. Us as humans think that happens all, all automatically, but no, they're creating, and I'm not even going to get into the fancy Web3 terms, they're creating an open, innovative ecosystem for that to happen. And they are so sold on their mission because they think this is getting overlooked and all this other stuff. And I just detected the passion. Like, I didn't care that the chief product officer, you know, did 10-year stints with Sony and Homa Games and all that other stuff. You know, if you believe in your product and the story behind it, because at the end of the day, right, in a market differentiation, when you get down to Series A and product market fit, uh, brand loyalty does play a factor. And uh, yeah. It pays that much of a factor, brand loyalty, to where it's, it's noticeable in the bottom line? Yeah, because here's the thing. So you're always going to have a competitor, right? There's there's not any technologies out there that I'm aware of that you're just going to be the pot, the pioneer. And, and like gaming's an example, you know, what makes your games different than somebody else's? Okay, yeah, we can get into the nuances, like the daily active users and the revenues per quarter. And if, if you're in Web3, TVL and all that other stuff, but that doesn't, you know, the customers don't necessarily care about that now, do they? Yeah, yeah, I get that. I have a little bit of experience with that. I played Gods Unchained, which is on the immutable blockchain. Immutable, yeah. That's actually uh, one of the competitors of Agana. I did a competitive, that, Mythical Games, Elixir, all that other stuff. Yeah, and when you say transition of Web 2 to Web 3, I know you don't want to get too, too in the weeds. But... No, no, so I can talk about it all day, and <laughs> I can dumb it down for the audience if you want me to. I just don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But <laughs> but if you want to have a field day, then the field day starts now. So what's up? <laughs> uh, if, if I'm guessing correctly, because I've actually spoken with someone at 3X AI Capital uh, before, um, the way he kind of described it is Web 2 to Web 3 is about ownership. So you own your assets like basically within the game on a blockchain or on uh, MetaMask or something like that. And, and that's really where the shift is, right? You're not like buying a costume in Fortnite that you just pay the developer for and it sits in their bank account. You're buying something that you can then resell later and it, it really is something that you can, can move around, right? Okay, so can we talk about the building blocks of Web3? Of, uh, Web because I want to, because it does feed into it, decentralization. Yeah. But I don't have my bag of Legos here, but this is so simple, guys. I do not want... <laughs> you guys to think because like here's the thing people believe in all these other things like pyramid schemes and the dallas cowboys winning a super bowl this year so guys come on <laughs> believe in the future of technology so what makes what makes web 3 
you're laughing, but after that beatdown that it took by the 49ers, I don't think people are on board anymore. And I live in Texas, so I'm seeing this reality right now. So Web3, right? So we have, let's go all the way back, a little history lesson. If there's anybody that's a teenager in this audience, you know, I'm, I'm going to break it down better than your teacher did. So Web 1.0, that's when that was read only, right? We couldn't do things like type comments to each other, do other things, but it... It was a breakthrough because now we have connectivity all across the world for the first time. Web 2.0, this is where we're at right now, right? Read, write, makes things like advertising, having social media profiles, you know, a whole lot of stuff possible. Web 3, what are they trying to do? The concept of decentralization, because is the internet actually belongs to us in certain facets? No. You make a profile on Instagram, Meta can decide that you're the scum of the earth and you're gone forever. Now, decentralization, right? That's just taking a base layer of data and then you you own it, everything from the security to the data inside to customer insights. Yes, you can, if you start a business on, a, on another blockchain, you can take all that customer information somewhere else, but it's okay, we're gonna get there. So decentralization and the feature that makes Web3 its premier feature and is causing so many problems right now is composability and you guys are gonna see why. So it's like Legos, right? You wanna build a game, but you only know how to build 10% of it. Be like, okay, I have some developers in my community that can build the other 90%. You stack them on top and it gets better o over time, right? So think of composability like, like uh, compounding in finance. It just gets better over time. Now, what I just described is, you know, the basis of every blockchain, but you see the issues that kind of happen now. You have IP issues, you know, what if I build some of this, but somebody else built some of that? Who does it belong to? Spider-Man meme and all that other stuff. And uh, yeah, that's something we haven't overcome yet, but a blockchain is very powerful. And I think one of the most biggest use cases that I really appreciate is how it's getting integrated into healthcare. Like when somebody moves from hospital to hospital, we still use things like fax machines and those ancient type of things. When you put it on a blockchain and people are making disruptive technology like this, you protect the patient's info because like that's important, right? What if they had medications in the other hospital that they need now? So just your little lesson in Web3, like I personally, when somebody broke it down like that, like I don't think it's that hard to understand. Yeah, you have your other little nuances, but everything goes back to the composability concept. So I feel like startups in that space should want to work with you because you said working with a startup, you like to see enthusiasm. I'm seeing a lot of enthusiasm from you right now. That's got to be a good a good match when you're talking to a startup. They've got to be pretty over the moon to work with you on this kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, you got to be confident in your ability. And like, here's the thing, right? I didn't know um, Web3 three months ago, but humans tend to shy away from things that they don't understand. So if you just, you know, people have put a lot of good research out there, you know, and just read it, digest it. And as a person that's that's worked with a three X with three well, X capital, you know your founders will be some of the smartest people that you'll ever meet. And like this is an evolving type of thing, right? We're in the middle of this human history, so yeah, it's going to be different last year compared to this year. You mentioned you live in Texas. Starthub's uh, CEO and some of our team is based in Florida. I've talked to many startups and VCs in Florida. I know that's got a thriving ecosystem of of, of really innovative startups in the South Florida area. How about Texas? What does the startup scene look like? Where in Texas are you and what does that look like? Yeah, um, I'm in Houston, uh, Texas. And yeah, so it's cool because Texas is so big, right? And back when I was stationed in the military, I was based in El Paso, Texas. And like, I still would have to drive 11 hours to get back over here. 
But it's cool, right? Because capital formation now is no longer being exclusively held from New York City or San Francisco, where that's how it kind of used to always be. You know, you have you have your Florida's, Utah, Texas. But when it comes to Texas, I feel like every city's known for something different, right? I'm in Houston right now, clean tech, and then you have oil and gas and all this other stuff. Then you go down to Austin, Texas, which is the biggest startup hub. It had 5.4 billion in venture funding last year. Um, I would say it's very known for fintech, like fintech is the thing. You go up to Dallas, you see a lot of healthcare, and then the San Antonio, you, you see a lot of SaaS and defense. So uh, there's a little bit of everything in Texas. So you don't have to go to Austin. Houston works as well now. It is in the Texas, uh, the the, uh, the um, organization you're affiliated with, the Texas Venture Alliance, uh, is that all across Texas or do you have hubs? Yeah, all across Texas. So we, so the, the problem that we are seeing is that Texas is so big that people in Houston won't know what's going on in Dallas. Dallas does the going on in San Antonio. I'm like, that's bad, right? One, that shows you how freaking massive Texas is. But no, like there's a lot of collaborators. You have a lot of people moving from like, you know, Silicon Valley to to Texas. Like you have Sapphire Ventures that literally set up a regional office. And I think, and then we're starting to get a little bit of Web3 presence, which is making me happy. There's a standalone fund in Frisco. And then you have ATX, DAO. And then like, yeah, like all these other funds that are just coming from outside because they know that, you know, we're the place to be. And um, yeah, no, shout out to uh, Florida. One of the people that I look up to, Joffrey Wu, love his content. If you guys are ever looking to like VC startup content, he is the managing director of the Anti-Fund, which is Jake Paul's venture capital fund. But I don't care about Jake Paul personally. He's a good boxer. But Joffrey Wu is showing you what's, you know, what's possible and you just put consistent hard work in. And I totally just said that so I can chop this part up and I can tag him in it. <laughs> well... You're allowed. I won't edit it out of the final cut. Let's go back to startups that scale up and have problems. What is the most common problem you see that keeps a startup from scaling up or just from getting the funding that they need to secure in order to go to the next level? I would say, um, I would say just, you know, being uh, just a little bit about myself as well. I'm going to go throw my hat in the ring as an ad advisory role on investor relations for a ed tech startup that I really like from a few Cornell grads just because I want, you know, that basis of that type of stuff being an advisor. But I would say one, like when somebody's pitching, like uh, the concept of uh, runway, which is the, I think is the most important metric when it comes to early stage startups because they have no financial history, no unit economics. So that's essentially how, how much time normally quantified in months. I've seen it quantified in minutes. I don't know why we're talking about it, but no, it, it, it actually made sense to me one time and I totally just, you know what, that's good. Um, yeah, in in months until you run out of cash. Now, keep in mind, venture capitalists, capitalists, right? Trying to not only, you know, launch the next uh, Facebook for the founder's dreams and in innovative technology, but they also have a fiduciary uh, responsibility back to the limited partners. So if somebody comes up to you and pitches to you and says, quote unquote, you know, this amount of money for 24 months of runway, and this is enough for us to keep the lights on, pay salaries, that's bad, right? Because you didn't put enough time into the analysis saying that, hey, you know, we just want your money so we can have a salary and pay bills and stuff. And yeah, like that sounds a little bit abstract, but when you really think about it, right? Like it doesn't sound like you did your due diligence on that one. So I just really wanted to like let that one sit because like people think that's okay. And like, that's 
to to me that doesn't like if i was doing that i would feel bad doing that but apparently that's the go-to and i think secondly would be uh go to market strategy and distribution right you can only go as far as your distribution channels right and as you increasing revenue you would want to keep you know getting more market share and expanding markets and stuff like that i'm not talking about go international as a pre-seed but you should always be improving the area around you and stuff like that because you can only go as far as your distribution channels uh, gtm and distribution channels and any of the big people will tell you that like corey angles or jeremy barr or anybody like that but some people just like to stay stagnant for you know a year or some point and then they run out of runway because they didn't distribute so you're saying go to market strategy distribution really fundamental to it but also when asking for money tell the investor here's how i'm going to use that money and grow this business and actually it you know increase our output versus just like yeah we we're gonna go under if you don't give us five million dollars yeah, because like you got to remember, like I said, it's a twofold job. Help the startup, you know, become the best ever, but also to the LP. So you run into this thing called the exit multiple, right? And we're there, we're going to have these conversations, right? Because essentially, as a fund, you want to 10x your investment, ideally. Now, you do, what, you do have what's called the power law, right? And I think the power law applies to life as well, but I'll just kind of, you know, talk about both real quick. That's the concept that one outsized return will have a return so large that you did not predict. So let's just say you have a unicorn, you know, that's valued at like a billion dollars, but you won't know that. But that's why, you know, that's why the due diligence process is hard. That's why you're doing a lot of sourcing because, you know, as you're earlier, your chance of failure rates even higher. So when it comes to unit economics, yes, we're going to be going through revenue costs and all that stuff. But you're probably going to be hearing questions like, okay, you know, in five years, you know, how can you 5x, 10x your revenue? Because they're going to be thinking about that as well. They want you to do good as well, but they also want you to generate a good return. So not only do they want their P&L to grow, but they want to make sure that we're on target for a good exit multiple. So just to kind of like quantify when an exit uh, uh, multiple is, a uh, $5 million company, you know, sells for... 50 million, that's a 10x multiple. Very basic example, but people confuse that. That's what it is. And exit multiples are dictated by a lot of things. There's no one right answer. It's dictated by market conditions. It is dictated by type. Uh, there's some types of sectors that have an industry standard and all this other stuff, but that's just a basic example. I'd like to turn my attention to your work with Go Global World. You do a podcast for them and lots of other work. So what is Go Global World and what problem are you solving there? Yeah, guys. So I used to do a daily podcast. I want to say used to because I'm focusing on other parts of the business, guys. So that'll come back soon. But, you know, we had a lot of good interviews, but you can't stretch yourself then. But Go Global World is an AI investor to startup matching platform and vice versa that creates a AI curated platform to optimize time and build meaningful meaningful relationships. And what I mean by that, right, you know, a very relationship-based business in venture capital, which is one of the only backers, you know, like you, there's no relationship building and taking out a loan or filling out a grant or anything like that. But for venture capitalists, you know, you gotta know the team, the platform for the expertise and all this other stuff. But that can be a series of like awkward intros, you know, Founders leaving sales calls to go to some dinner and all that other stuff. And we don't want to do that. 
So we have a global customer base and what happens is that you create a dashboard. If you're an investor, you put your minimum investment criteria thesis. If you're a founder, you put what you're looking for in that space and time and it's verified through us. And yeah, if you're on Go Global World and you guys match, it's, it's been vetted through us. You know, a lot of the investors, we're all personally homies ourselves and they know with me and they know that if it's coming through the pipeline, it's good. It's better than trying to build a six month relationship and wasting all this time because the investors need to do stuff with their IC and the founders need to be focused on making money and making innovative products. Yeah, no, yeah, that's just how we kind of roll right now. So, yeah, I know there's more than 5,000 angels, VCs, CVCs, and VC funds on there, family offices, pretty much all over the place, right? And I'm sure it's growing. How much time do you spend on there? How much time do I spend working on it or just talking to people? Talking to people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we have a lot of great customers that are personal mentors of mine. Uh, Samir Jaku from Vibranium VC. We have Bill Riker from Pegasus Tech and like not even like all these big names, like the emerging funds as well, which I think that's important, right? When you're an emerging fund, you want to get quality deal flow because fund one, if you mess up fund one, all right, you're kind of barred from the industry. So that's what we want to help people with. So, yeah, I mean, I'm moving over to I'm taking my stab at like a sales role so we can kind of like build that stuff out. I can build a sales team. I watched a lot of Alex Hormozzi and I'm like inspired now I'm going to cross this. We have a lot of leads just that we haven't built out the customer success team to uh, kind of do that. But it, it's OK, though. That just shows that people want our product. Yeah. And that is always a good sign. Well, people can participate in Go Global World at goglobal.world. Uh, so check that out or app.goglobal.world both websites seem to work yeah and if you guys follow us on linkedin we every friday for the for the most part we do free virtual pitch events so if you want to get in front of a panel of vcs for free you know come on through awesome all right and chris you are very active on social media tiktok where do you tell people to find you if they want more of your startup wisdom and humor yeah, I mean, I'm mostly the t the three I kind of stick with is LinkedIn, TikTok, and Twitter. Cool. LinkedIn, TikTok, Twitter. I'll put links to those in the uh, description of today's episode. And if a person's listening to this podcast, they're thinking about launching a startup or they've got an idea, maybe they've even started to do work on it. What's the number one piece of advice you have for them? I would say, right, it's never too late to grow up. It's never too late to have an idea of what you want to do. So when I was in the military, I thought I was going to get out and be a software engineer or management consultant. I was worried about, you know, making a lot of money. My my relationship with God was not the best because when you let those worldly things just kind of, you know, take over you, you're not the same person anymore. So I would say just find a concrete why. Know that, you know, your hard work is going to be rewarded somehow and yeah, you know, there's, you don't know how much time you have left on this planet. So do something that you're passionate about. And if you're hanging out with friends that are kind of getting in the way, then that's good for you, right? Because now you know who your friends aren't. So that's what, I, yeah, that's what I'm just going to say, you know, full send it. Like, I don't even know how long I'm going to be in this industry myself, you know, but I just want to keep working hard. Yeah. Very wise words to part with. Chris Gonzalez, you can follow him 
everywhere uh, in the links in today's episode description. Thank you so much for joining me. I had a really great time. And, uh, you know, maybe next year the Cowboys will have a better season. Who knows? Yeah, every single year, chronic disappointment. We can rely on them a lot more than the stock market. <laughs> I mean, I'm in the Chicago area. And uh, I don't know no. if you know much about how the Bears... <laughs> you do. You do know how the Bears have been. So... Not a lot to root for there. But yes, thanks again so much. And uh, uh, I don't have an end. That was just kind of it. Thanks so much for joining me, Chris. Really appreciate it. Peace, guys. <laughs> That's all for today's episode. As always, there are a ton of really helpful resources in the description of today's episode. So however you're consuming it, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, whatever, just check the description to find some links including a link to work with our amazing audio video editor, Sean Patel. If you are looking for exceptional audio production or audio video editing work, get in touch with Sean at seanpatel.com. The Funding Blueprint, Unlocking Startup Success, is produced by me, Cody Goff, and you can get in touch with me at cody at academicpodcasts.com if you ever want to talk podcasting or really anything else. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>